0: This morning, we're, uh, we're back in Luke. We're still in Luke. I don't know how to say it. We've been in Luke, and we're still in Luke. And uh, I titled my sermon this morning, um, Choose Your Measure. And uh, as I thought about measures, um, I was thinking about my kids. Because kids, my kids, like all kids, there's my kids— um, they are like all children, I think, so I don't think they're unique in this one thing, at least, that they um, they want the biggest. They want the biggest of whatever we are doing or getting or whatever it is. So if it's ice cream servings I'm portioning, they want the biggest one, and they will fight over who gets the biggest one. If I'm pouring juice in five cups, I watch them, they'll approach the juice cups and they're studying the juice cups to see which one has more. And I'll tell them they're all the same. And they'll say, no, this one, this one is the biggest. Or maybe it's a serving of chips or this portion of whatever it is. And that's what, uh, that's what they're like and usually they're deciding about how, which one's the biggest based on its relative size. So I can say, well, they're all big. I'm, sir, I'm giving you bigger portions of ice cream than I usually do. It doesn't matter. It matters how big is it compared to the other ones. It's relative, really. And so the way I combat this as a father is through trickery, is how I combat this in my family. And, um, and so I'll tell you a couple of the secret um, ways I combat this idea of going after the biggest. Th- this is one. I will give the largest portion to the one who served. To the one who served. So if they are handing out stuff, then I will give the largest portion to that person who's serving. So then they started realizing this, and then they're fighting over who gets to serve. They're all like serving, right? Which, I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. And this, another thing I do is that for those who I notice they're sharing or they're giving away stuff, I will put extra treats in their bowl or I'll give them a little bit extra if I notice that they're being generous. So I'll reward generosity with generosity, and I will also reward stinginess with stinginess. And they've come to learn that. And in that, I don't think that it's unique to me. It's, I think that's a thing that um, we see. God doing as well and Luke 6 finds us in this very place in the middle of a sermon Jesus is right in the middle of it and we're picking up part three of four parts so part one part two we're on three so if you're in cutting joining us in the middle then I'm sorry Um, but the sermon itself the whole thing is is such a blow It's such a blow to our human defaults and the way we we approach morality. Jesus just knocks it on its head and he addresses this idea of radical kingdom living. And so that's where we're picking up. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 6 and it's verses 37 to 42 is what we'll be reading this morning. Jesus says this, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not. And you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Out the speck that is in your brother's eye this is God's word my big idea this morning is that the metrics we use in relationship with others is our capacity the metrics we use is our capacity to receive and should drive us to Jesus for new kingdom measures The metrics we use in relationship with others is our capacity to receive and should drive us to Jesus for new kingdom measures. I have a measure and you have a measure. That's what this says. There's a measure we're using. Now, if you grew up in Canada, then you have two measures. Probably. Because we live in the imperial system, which is the American system that's inches and miles and um, pounds, right? All that feet, that's imperial system. And the other system is the metric system, which is kind of the the system the rest of the world uses, which is um, part of what we use, which is kilometers and... Um, meters and centimeters, right? So if you are in Canada, then you understand that we are kind of caught in both these things, right? We use kilometers to talk about distance and we use liters to talk about like gas, how much gas is in your tank. And yet, if I asked you how tall are you, you would tell me how tall you are in, I'd say I'm six feet. If somebody said to you, well, I'm 152 centimeters, I don't even know how tall that is, but me like a midget i don't know i don't even know what that is like what you know like what is that no one says that right so just because you're canadian doesn't mean you know how many kilograms you weigh actually what determines the measure you use is your day-to-day living is what do you use when you're walking around and somebody asks you something what's the measure you use when you're in the kitchen and you're measuring stuff what's the measure you that's your measure that 's what you 're using and and Jesus talks in this passage about two different measures, and so for a lack of you know better defined terms i 'm going to call them the stingy measure system, metric system, and the generous metric system. okay those are our two systems. now the stingy system is extremely are extremely popular. And I think it's the system we grew up in. It's our kind of our default system that we're used to and that we live in. And, and basically what it is, is that we dish out things. So we dish out compassion and we dish out mercy. We dish out forgiveness in very small measures, in stingy measures. When we're dishing out, we're giving out. So The kind of units we could use for that would be judgment, would be how we talk about that. Judgment is evaluating and measuring others, their words and their actions and their motives. And often we, especially Christians, will hide judgment under discernment. We'll say, well, I'm just being discerning. That's why I don't like them, because I'm discerning. And I'm discerning they're a total moron. And you get people going to all this stuff and they hide it under discernment. So we're not going to do that. We're going to take it out from under discernment. We're going to say, we're talking about ugly judgment. The judgment of where we, uh, we judge appearance and we judge behavior and we're stingy in our assessment of them. And we judge people's motives and we judge their heart and we are stingy in our assessments. That's what we do. And what comes out of that is that we condemn. That's the other part. We condemn And we have this tendency to be judge and jury. So what we'll do with our judgment is I'll put you in a box with my judgment. I know who you are. Now you're in my box, okay? And I condemn you to stay there forever because I know you're never going to change. And so I've condemned you now. I've put you in there with my judgment. I've condemned you to staying there. James chapter 4, verses 11 to 12 says this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one judge, one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. That's not you or me. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James says, if you take that spot, you're becoming the judge and the jury. Who are you to do that? The other system is the generous system. The generous system is less popular and it's not our default system. It's a system that, um, that we probably have to learn. It's, the generous system would be, if we talked about the opposite, would be to offer compassion and mercy and forgiveness in lavish terms, in large measures, as opposed to stingy measures. And Jesus talks about forgiveness as being one of those things that we do. So if you live in the generous system, forgiveness is something that you practice daily, hourly, maybe. <laughs> we practice forgiveness. We forgive offenses. And it doesn't matter whether um, it happens a lot or a little, whether, and every time we say we are going to forgive, whether it's a repeat offender or the first time offense, you know, that's Jesus and Peter. Peter says, how many times? Jesus says, over and over and over. This is the generous system. We're going to be generous in our giving of forgiveness. And forgiveness in this sense would be the practice of releasing people to Jesus. So it's not saying, oh, it doesn't matter what they did, or, oh, we're going to just condone it. We're giving them to Jesus for Jesus to deal with. So we're not taking the judge. We're not going to be the judge. We're giving them to Jesus. Or Jesus talks about giving. So he talks about forgiving and giving. And I think, I don't think he's talking about money, but if I said, hey, you should give, right away people are like, oh, you want my money? We think about giving with money, usually. But I don't think Jesus is talking about money. I think he's talking about giving people the benefit of the doubt. Giving people their story. You have a story, and I have a story. I'm going to give people opportunity. I'm going to give people the ability to change and to grow and to become different on their journey. Now, humility is the essential kind of oil or lubricant to the generous system. It doesn't work without humility. So if you're not a person who's prone to humility or who wants to embrace humility, the generous system really won't work very well for you. Because humility is a necessary part of it. Humility ensures that when I approach a situation between us, that I can say, oh, I know exactly what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. But that's my story. Humility will say, I understand that you have a story. That something happened for you that was different than maybe for me. Just like we say, "There's in any relationship, there's two relationships. There's my relationship with you and your relationship with me. Oh, we're best friends. Oh, I hate that guy. Right? There's two things that can be happening. So the same thing happens in in our relationships. And humility ensures that I give you your story. I allow you to have it. James 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jesus also says in this passage that our problem when we live in this is that we have trouble measuring ourselves. Our problem isn't just that we're judging people. It's that we can't even assess or measure ourselves accurately. That's why he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? This is the funny part. I think people would be laughing when Jesus did this. But Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? I heard a speaker, and he was talking about how we all have two to three blind spots in our lives in terms of how we live. That there's things that we don't know about ourselves, and that would be called a blind spot. And so this speaker said, right now, some of you are like, okay, I'm going to figure out my blind spots. And the challenge is, you can't. It's a blind spot. That means you can't see it. And as hard as you try, you're not going to be able to see it. So what you need is actually other people to come alongside you who you trust to say, hey, John, did you know that, you know, when you pick your nose over there, that's really gross. Don't do that. What? I was doing it. Whatever it is, right? You need someone else to assess and help you walk through that because you can't see it. And that's what Jesus is saying in a way. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. If we could accurately assess ourselves, if we could in humility look at ourselves and say, wow, okay, here's what I've got, then we wouldn't need the judgment. But we don't. We are really good at going after other people. Jesus says, look at your own issues like a log and other people's issues like a speck. But we don't. We look at other people's issues like a log and ours like a speck. Right? It's the opposite. And I don't, I don't think it's to beat ourselves up that we should just, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. But it's to humbly assess the reality of our situation. That we could look at our issues, the stuff we're struggling through in our lives, the challenges we face, and in humility to say, wow, okay, these are the things I'm dealing with, as opposed to trying to figure out everyone else's. Jesus says we can't help others until we can humbly see ourselves in need of a Savior. measured back to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The measure you use will be measured back to you. Does that scare you a bit? It scares me. It's one of those verses, actually, that I think I find really scary. (gasps) I do. Because it's saying that there's a boomerang principle. There's something that's going out and it's coming back. It made me think of a story of uh, this woman who's waiting for her plane flight, and she's just had a harried travel day, and so she goes into the, the store, the airport store, and she buys herself a book, just a great mind-numbing book that's just going to help her relax, and she gets that book, and then she gets a bag of cookies, and she goes and sits down, and she s- starts reading her book, and this guy comes and sits down next to her, and she she looks up from her book suddenly and she sees this guy has opened the bag of cookies and he's reaching into her bag of cookies and he's taking cookies she looks over at him and she's horrified but she's not going to confront him as such so she just very angrily eats her cookie to demonstrate you know and the guy kind of looks at her and reaches in takes another one she takes one and every time she takes one, she's like, oh, that thief. Oh, oh, that crook. Oh, he's so ill-mannered. Oh, he's ungrateful. Even he's eating all my cookies, and he doesn't even act thankful. Oh. And she's like getting more, and like steam's coming out of her ears. And finally, she looks down, and there's one cookie left, and he pulls the cookie out, and he looks at her, and she's like, giving him the hugely evil eye and he takes the cookie and then he breaks it in half and gives her half. And she's like, she grabs her stuff, gives him the death glare, storms off, gets to her gate, storms down the thing, gets to her seat, sits down and she is still fuming. She's like, I'm going to take this whole flight and decompress. She's like, oh, I need to read my book again. So she reaches into her bag and she pulls out An unopened bag of cookies. It's her bag of cookies. They were eating his. So, who's the thief? Who's ill mannered? Who's the ingrate? It's us it's us when we do that the boomerang principle is that the measure you use can be used against you i was teaching this passage for youth and i got a picture that was so vivid and clear in my mind and this was the picture that i was standing in a long line a long single file line, and it weaves up and down, and it goes really far, and so we're in this long, 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 long line. And I'm standing there, and I realize that down a far ways there's a big door, and the door keeps opening and closing. And as the door opens, I can see, oh, and there's the glory of God. We must be at the judgment. This is judgment. <gasps> we're waiting in line for judgment. Oh, <gasps> okay, wow, and the presence of God is there. This is really awesome. And then I realize that I'm holding. A ruler in my hand, a big, long ruler like this without the drywall part of it. And I'm standing there with my ruler, and I realize, like, whoa, I've got this ruler. This is really incredible. And then I look down the line, and I realize my ruler's the biggest because I've been awesome. I'm sure it's because I'm so awesome, and other people aren't quite as awesome. And they have, like, these smaller rulers, you know, they're holding. Or, like, I see a couple people, and they've got those ones you find in your compass set. You know, those are really just little tiny rulers. And as I'm moving through the line, I'm looking up and down. I realize, like, my ruler is the biggest. I have been the most awesome out of all these people. And as I get closer and closer to the door, I'm thinking about what do we get to do with this ruler. And then I start thinking, this is probably to measure my crown when we get in heaven. And they're going to get small crowns, but I'm going to get a really big one because I've been so awesome. And then I get to the door and the angel at the door will tell me, no, Jonathan. This is the measure you used with people and you held them to such a high standard and now it will be used against you. When you walk through the door, that's the measure God will use with you. And the people with the little measures, they were the ones who had lots of compassion. Lots of grace for people. And me, I'm wishing I could go back and change the way I treated people. The measure you use will be used against you. It's scary. Romans 2, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Jonathan, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the same things. You do the same things. That's what Paul says. You want to sit in the judgment seat? Don't do it. Because you'll find out really quickly you're guilty of a whole bunch of things that you set out for other people. It should scare me that my life could be evaluated by the standards I hold for others. But the more closely I looked at this passage, the more I started to think it's not just about that. And that's true. There's lots of places in the Bible where it talks about we're going to be judged, we're going to be evaluated. God's going to do that. That's true. And yet, this passage talks more about it in terms of not a ruler, but in terms of volume like capacity. How much can you hold? Luke chapter 8, verse 18 in the message says, generosity begets generosity, stinginess impoverishes. And this is what Jesus is saying, that we think about stingy people being rich, like Uncle Scrooge in the McDuck version or whatever, Disney. You know, he's, he's like, he's stingy and he's rich. That's why. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. If you're stingy, what happens is you just end up with a small container. That's it you only end up with a small measure. This is the picture Jesus gave these people. He says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. And I don't know if when I read that, you were like in my lap. I don't know if I want you to pour anything in my lap. But for them, in the, the lap was also the way they would carry things. So they have their long garment. And then in the lap is when you sit down and you would fold your garment up. And then you could put stuff in your garment. It was like a built-in bowl. You could carry like your... Weed, or I don't know what, whatever, whatever stuff you carry, and you. So they put it into the lap, and that's how they'd wrap it up and carry something. So it was like a way uh, a way they carried things. So the picture for us maybe better picture than rulers would be like like my quarter quarter teaspoon was the smallest measure I could find, and I've got some other measures. So there's like cups, half cups. There's a You know, two cups. There's my eight cupper. Can you see that? It's a good one. And then just for good measure, I brought the biggest thing I could put liquid in, which would be my recycle bin. So the question for us is, is maybe better put, what measure are you using with people? Because this is what Jesus is saying in a way, that the container that you use to dish out with people whatever you're using to give out to people, that's the same measure you have to use to receive with. So if you're dishing out stingy, your capacity to receive is small. Jesus says that your capacity for generosity enables or inhibits you in receiving. And he's talking about sowing and reaping. That's the principle That you're going to reap what you sow. What you measure is going to come back to you. It works positively and it works negatively. And Jesus gives us all those examples. If you judge someone harshly, you will be judged harshly. Right? Some of you aren't sure. I experienced that as a parent. When I had one baby, I was like, yeah, I'm the best parent ever. Look at my baby obeys me. What's wrong with you people? And then I had a second baby. I was like, well, this baby's really good, too. Like, what's, I'm the best parent ever. You guys didn't read the right books, man. And then I had a third baby. That changed things for me. Suddenly I was outnumbered. I had a, th- a different personality. And suddenly I realized I wasn't a good parent. <laughs> but I just was lucky with the first two. And so my perspective changed. And... As I'm dealing with, hey, you, have no, come back, be quiet. Oh, no, oh, ah. Hey, no, stop that. And I looked at myself, and I could see those same parents that I'd given those looks to. They're looking at me like, yeah, yeah, you, man. You're a good parent, okay. It comes back to you. If you condemn others for their flaws, they're going to find yours. Because they can. <laughs> you have them. And they will condemn you. But if you extend forgiveness freely and generously, people will forgive you freely and generously. And if you give to people with a generous heart, a sacrificial heart, people will also do the same to you. James 2 verse 13 says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Oh, Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy will win the day. And the picture Jesus gives us in that picture of the lap, in that picture of volume and capacity, is abundant return. That's the, those are the words, good measure, pressed down, and I picture like brown sugar. You can get more brown sugar in the bowl if you press it down, right? Or on your spoon. You're a little kid and you want lots of sugar. Pressed down, shaken together. And I picture our cereal when we pour it into the other container and you shake it and suddenly, whoa, there's lots of space. You're getting the most possible. Running over. These are pictures of abundant. Like not just, oh, here's some. But like the most possible in that space. That's the picture. The measure we use will be used for us and so it behooves us to learn kingdom metrics. Kingdom metrics. And so I looked into this. Do you know there's something called metrication? That is the process of a country changing their metric system to a new one. Metrication. Go ahead. Let's learn something together. Metrication. Say with me. Metrication. Oh, man. You guys are so slow. I'm going to help you, though. I'm going to help you. So metrication, here's how they did it, okay? I love researching this. I spent most of my sermon prep time doing this. Metrication is, so there's three different ways they would do this. They would change from one metric system to the other. So when they were changing from imperial or whatever other system they had into the metric system, these are three ways they could do it. The first way was called redefining. Redefining, it's one of my favorites. It's really easy. You just take the words you use and you redefine them. So you don't change anything, you just make it mean something new. So, for example, in Sweden, they use the metric system, but they still have their Swedish mile, and it's worth 10 kilometers. It's super easy. You just say, okay, we're still going to use miles, but now it's worth something in kilometers. You redefine it. Okay, that's one way. The second way is to phase it in. So you say, we're going to have both systems operating together. Imperial and metric, we're going to do it together. And so, you know, some of it will be this way, some of it that way. And eventually we hope that we'll end up in this, you know, changed over system. Now, the challenge with that is it can take a really, really, really long time to change over. Or it doesn't happen at all. So, for example, Japan took 70 years to change over and Canada on the little thing it says we're still partially there we're still we're still in process right okay so that's a system phase in system and the third way you can change over your metrication is to it's called the big bang and it means you change all of your signage and you change all of your material in the government buys all new signs, all new stuff, and you change everything at once, and you re-educate people. And they did this in India and lots of other countries, and so in India, it took two years for them to completely change over, and they were on the metric system. 100%. That's pretty amazing. And they said it was a big success. Now, as I looked at this, I thought, these same choices apply to us as we talk about kingdom metrics. The first way we could approach kingdom metrics is we could redefine. We could just change how we talk about things. We'll just use more spiritual language or Christian language. And we'll give lip service to these kingdom ideas. But in actual day-to-day living, it won't really change anything. We'll just keep doing it. And that's really not to change at all. The second thing we could do is we could phase it in. And that's like the gradual approach. We can say, yeah, we're going to kind of operate in both these systems till we're, you know, confident in the one. And the problem is the Bible will say that that's going to end up with you being really selective about where you apply these principles and where you don't. And so maybe it would look like morality. We would try really hard to do these things. And sometimes we do it and sometimes we wouldn't. Or the third way is that we could change completely we could be completely changed. That's what Jesus is offering with the good news. Jesus says that he came to transform us, to set us free and to transform us, to make us into something different. John three seventeen says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, Jesus didn't condemn us. He didn't condemn the tax collector or the prostitute or the thief on the cross. Instead, he was condemned for us. Instead, he took judgment that was meant for us. And he died so we could be set free. And he offers his spirit to live in us and change us. This is a pretty good offer. And so I would say that we can only embrace kingdom metrics if we embrace Jesus. We can only really get a hold of this if we take Jesus and allow him to take us. See, the root of judgment is that at the very heart of it is that we want to be like God. We want to sit in that judgment seat. I want to say how things are. And that's exactly the same problem the devil had with God. He wanted to be like God. Kicked out of heaven. And then Eve in the garden, what did she want? She listened and it was, you can be like God. God's holding out on you. This very same thing. Okay, that's what I want. And we battle the same thing when we're judging people. When I'm saying, I know what's going on with them. I know what's wrong with them. I'm becoming like who God is supposed to be. And so I think learning kingdom metrics means we take that good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, and we apply it to our hearts. Which is that God has forgiven us, and so we must forgive. Jesus gave his life as a ransom, so we must give sacrificially. And God has extended grace upon grace upon grace. And so we must be generous. Mark Buchanan, a pastor and an author, says, generosity predisposes us to hear the gospel, and the gospel awakens in us generosity. The gospel predisposes us to, or generosity predisposes us to hear the gospel and the gospel awakens in us generosity. That's the story Jesus tells with the the debtor. So the king is owed a debt. He's going through all his debts and there's the one servant who owes a lot, like $6 billion is the equivalent, right? And so Jesus, the king looks at this and he brings the servant in and he says, you got to pay. And the servant's like, I can't pay. And I did the math on it. It would take me, if I was that servant, Owing that debt $6 billion, it would take me, if you garnished my wages for 40 years, it would take me 5,000 lifetimes to pay that debt back. Just to put it in perspective. 5,000 lifetimes. The servant says, no, no, give me time, I'll pay it back. And the king says, no, you won't. I forgive your debt. And then that servant goes out and he grabs his other servant who owes him $12,000 and starts wringing his neck and, Dave, hey, you got to pay me, and throws him in jail. When the king hears about it, he brings that guy back and says, what were you doing? I forgive you $6 billion? And you can't even have grace for someone for 12000 Jesus says it this way, the one who's been forgiven much loves much. And so we should live this way. That God's forgiveness towards us gives us a new capacity. Not this, but maybe this. Maybe this. I, I don't want the little measure anymore. I want to increase my capacity. You were forgiven the mountain of debt. So maybe it's not even this, maybe it's bigger. So why are we still using little measures if this is what God did for us? That's the challenge. So as we apply this, I will say we're going to give a little bit of time in our response. Um, And this is what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to take some time. We can't really talk about judgments and about this kind of thing without taking some time to ask God to look into our hearts because we all are dealing with this. And so what I'd like to do is that we'll take some time and we'll get Steve up in a minute to uh, take some time to, to play and we're just going to ask God. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to ask God if there is judgment in our hearts toward other people. Or we could ask him, where are we using stingy measures? You could say, God, where am I using this one with people? And then when he shows you, And usually it's very specific what the Spirit of God will reveal to you. Then you can confess it to him and ask for his forgiveness and receive forgiveness. Confess your stingy measure and release it. So you give it to Jesus. I don't want this one anymore. And then receive forgiveness and celebrate grace. And that's actually what we do when we take communion. We're celebrating grace. That we are forgiven, that he does take our stingy measure. And then the last thing would be to pray for a new kingdom measure. So if you're giving up this one, you could say, God, can you expand my capacity? Can you give me a new measure, a new way I can relate to somebody? And maybe it's a little bit bigger than what the one you had. Maybe it's a lot bigger. And maybe over time, as God continues to show you, you are changing your measure until we're using the big bucket. Hopefully in life, we could get to the big bucket where we're relating with people in terms of lots of grace and lots of forgiveness and lots of giving. For the measure you use, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So my big idea to close is that the metrics we use in relationship with others, it is our capacity to receive, and it should drive us to Jesus for new kingdom measures. It should drive us to Jesus for new kingdom measures. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that um, you didn't hold back from hard words, that you said things that were a challenge for us to receive because they shake our systems. They threaten our ways of walking out our life um, where we're comfortable. And Lord, this is no different. God, that you would um, challenge us in how we relate to people in our relationships in in very day-to-day practical ways. How do we live and love and walk with people? And God, your challenge that, um, that often we're using small measures when we dish out compassion and mercy and forgiveness and giving, um, it hurts us because we are unable then to receive anything more. So God, we, we come to you recognizing that uh, we can't change this on our own. We can't just Try to adopt these principles and it's going to somehow take root in our heart. We understand, Jesus, that this is about you. This is about you giving us a new heart and enabling us to walk forward in a new way. So, Lord, again, we come under your banner and we say, Jesus, that we need you. We need you to save us and we need you to transform us. So, would you change our hearts, God? Would you help us, even as we take time now in the next few minutes? to invite you to show us some places where we're using those stingy measures, God, that you would, be, um, you would be faithful to show us that and then to take those measures and trade us for something better, a way we could love people that's different. So we thank you, God, for your faithfulness in this, how you walk with us. Amen.